Well, good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. One of them is three steps for asking for help. We're also going to have our chat with Christina. We'll be talking about uh, setting those innovative goals. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Samantha Miller from Baker Love Lawyers about the commercial consequences of family law. Good afternoon, Samantha. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us. Very. We we'll probably put the wrong song on there when we're talking about church yeah. bells and getting married. <laughs> we're now, really wasn't it? <laughs> we're now talking about the opposite. Um, does the family court get involved in business interests of parties following a separation? Oh, most definitely. They're often asked to intervene in relation to the financial consequences of a relationship breakdown, whether a business is involved or not. Um, Each party has to disclose their entire financial situation to each other before settlement discussions can even be considered or a determination made by the court. Um, The first step is to determine the value of all of those assets and liabilities, including the business. It's actually irrelevant whose names the assets are in, um, as these things could have been manipulated for tax purposes or other reason. So the court would essentially see through such arrangements. Um, if the parties run a business together or one party is a sole trader or in a partnership with an independent party, then all of this will need to be investigated and values ascribed, whether agreed or um, following evaluation. So, so what are the first things that a, a person has to consider if they've been recently separated and there's a business involved? Well, firstly, I advise people to think from a practical standpoint. If you're running a business together, make sure that you're fully appraised of all aspects of that business and um, where possible that there's no scope for the other party to take advantage of the situation. For example, if they have... Um, access to checkbooks and things. They might write personal checks on business accounts. So you need to make sure that there's checking measures in place there. Um, The parties may need to continue to work cooperatively together for quite some time while the separation process takes place. And if they're working in the same workplace, then care needs to be taken to ensure that that separation and the effects don't spill over into the workplace and affect the profitability, staff or customer relationships. If, um, obviously, the level of cooperation between the parties is low, then there's quite a real risk that the business might suffer extreme cash flow problems or damaged reputation, um, which can come about just as a result of low staff morale. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge, isn't it? Uh, And we can see that happening in the government at the moment. (laughs) Is there anything specifically people should be worried about? Um, If the business is suffering as a result of the problems in the relationship, then there's always the risk of insolvent trading. This is obviously heightened if the other party has been running the business and you're not fully appraised of the situation. It might not be readily apparent that it's insolvent. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, insolvent trading occurs when the business does not have the assets or cash flow to service its debts. Um, The consequences can be the same even if you are not the one directly involved in the day-to-day operation of the business. So you might be a director and not really ever ever played a role in it, but the Corporations Act 2001 provides that a director has a duty to ensure that their corporation is not trading whilst insolvent and can be found personally liable if they fail in this duty. So that might mean that that the business could be lost? Definitely, and also that... um, you could be personally personal, uh, personally liable um, 
and the corporate veil may be pierced and all family assets can be seized to repay the debts. If this occurs, then there may also be civil or criminal proceedings and that can have consequences of fines up to $200,000 or a term of even five years imprisonment. Obviously, this doesn't occur in many cases as parties are usually able to reach an agreement in relation to the continued running of the business, but by putting aside their personal differences and continuing to utilise their skills to maximise the profitability of and value of the business because ultimately it's a going concern and one of them will want to retain it. Yeah, and, and obviously keeping that relationship uh, is sometimes very, very challenging. I've seen it happen in many businesses. So, so back to valuing the business, what happens if the value cannot be agreed on? Oh, well, unless the business is quite small and it effect effectively comprises a few assets and the party's personal endeavours, then it's often difficult to agree the value of the business. Mm. If it is conceded that the business will need to be sold, then the value is not crucial as the market will determine this and the parties can then simply agree on the percentage share that they're entitled to. However, if one party wishes to retain the business, then a valuer will need to be appointed. It's best to try and agree on a valuer who the parties will then jointly instruct to prepare a report. This process can take a considerable amount of time and it's certainly not cheap. Uh, depending on the size of the business, valuations usually cost at least $10,000 and if their value is disputed, this will increase as the value, valuer may be called to give evidence in court. Once the value of the business and all the other assets and liabilities of the relationship are established, then the task of distributing, distributing them between the parties can commence. Well, some good points there. Any final things to remember? Well, something that people don't often um, think through is the final consequences of um, dividing assets between parties. And as with all assets, you need to be mindful of tax implications, which may result as the transfer, as a result of the transfer of the sa or sale of shares in a business, business assets being transferred, or the winding up of the company. Um, unsurprisingly, the ATO delivered a taxation ruling in 2014 advising that in family law proceedings, if a private company pays money or transfers property to a party in the proceedings, the payment is considered an assessable dividend, so income for taxation purposes. And if you've already agreed on what you will receive and not necessarily thought about the tax consequences, that can make a huge difference to a property settlement. Right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Samantha. That certainly uh, puts a lot of issues in our minds, uh, not just the, uh, the separation there, but also what's going to happen to the business. Um, so we'll, we'll have a chat with you again another time. Okay, fantastic. Nice chatting. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Samantha Miller there from Baker Love Lawyers. That's a very important subject to uh, talk, think about, uh, how the family uh, court gets involved in businesses and the effect on businesses. And certainly uh, when people are going through uh, separation, there can be all sorts of challenges in relationship can have a very detrimental effect on a business. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. It's time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you on this bright, sunny day? It is a nice sunny day, isn't it? It's not, not yeah. quite as hot as they expected at the moment, so that's a little bit better as well. It certainly is. Okay, so we're going to talk, we're still fairly close to the beginning of the year, so we're going to set some innovation goals. Yeah, I thought it might be nice to, to talk about goals, or, you know, some people refer to them as goals, some people refer to them as business KPIs. 
Um, but we're in a in business is is changing. Um, there's two conferences actually in uh, in February, all about the purpose of business, extending you know the social bottom line of business. Everybody's talking about we're in the business of doing good. How do you you know if you're going to do good business, then you need to be doing good. So I thought we might talk around um, some goals that some organisations have actually set for themselves mm. around these themes. So we've got the traditional type of goals, you know, how many new customers can we get? How many um, existing relationships can we, can we, you know, get back into the organisation? How many old customers can we return? What's the money profit at the end of the day? So they're all the traditional goals or KPIs that organisations set for themselves. And, of course, they're important to have as well. Absolutely, because yeah. no business can run, can run at a loss. But what, what they're finding in some of the latest studies is that businesses with a good social bottom line actually um, have increased productivity because the staff are more engaged, because there's a, a deeper purpose than just going to work and, and achieving financial outcomes. Um, but people are wanting to spend money now with organisations that have that social impact. Mm. So I thought, I thought we just might mention a couple that are, that are co- quite common. Um, and I'll mention one from Zappos because we often talk about Zappos. But Zappos have got, and they're the online company, traditionally online shoe company. Yeah. And when we were there a couple of years ago, we saw all these figures up on their whiteboards. Uh, and what they were were setting KPIs or setting goals for each call centre area. And one of those one of those was, have you spoken person to person to somebody? Has the has the customer on the other end spoken to a human being on our end of thing in under twenty seconds? So one of the goals they set for their call centre was that it was very customer-centric. So it was, we need to make contact person-to-person in under 20 seconds. Now, I'm sure um, that you, myself, and all the listeners have had experiences out there where we forever on the phone going, press one and we'll put you through two, yeah. press two. And my children laugh at me because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm there screaming down the phone going, I just want to talk to a human being. These people, customer-centric, have gone, we're a human-to-human business, even though we're an online business. Right. Um, another another goal that they have is, and, and it's written clearly on their whiteboards, is how many cards, how many thank you cards have you sent to customers? Um, so there's two goals that aren't necessarily related to the bottom line, but what they're doing in relation to customer-centric being, um, being available to their customers, how do they make their customers feel good, how do they best serve their customers, are now set as KPIs goals for the whole organisation to achieve. Mm. Another one that I heard this morning was a, a it was more an environmental um, organisation. They had decided as a group, had a meeting to do good via the environment. And they were setting simple things like, how many lights have been switched off? Do we need that light today? Have we switched the light off? How mm. much water have we used? How many, you know, how many times has a dishwasher run? So just very simple um, environmental goals, KPIs that the organisation had set. So it's not only about making the money, but money is important and we don't want any businesses to run at a loss. But like I said, the studies are coming out to say that businesses with social bottom line are doing really well. And like I said, there's two conferences in February that are all around, you know, building business with purpose and how do you actually get that and how do you transfer that to your organisation. And those conferences up here in the Hunter? No, they're not. They're actually both in Sydney. Okay. Unfortunately, they're both on the same day. So oh. it, it, I'm, I'm, at the same time? Not, not great. 
both on the yeah the twenty seventh of February uh, are both the the two conferences are on. Um, but the other thing is just to mention as well, it's great to set goals and KPIs, but we really need them to be well defined. Mm. They need to be quantifiable if you're going to report back on them, if you're going to go, hey, we really did succeed in these. Um, But the thing that most organisations don't do is they don't share those goals, those KPIs with the rest of their organisation. They tend to sit at management level um, and instead of... So at Zappos, they've got 1,600 people, 600 of those work in the call centres. Every single call centre knows that they want to speak to a human to human in under 20 seconds and they are the organisation is more than happy for them to go and and send out a thank you card. They've got card stations. You can either pick a thank you card that's already been um, bought off the shelf or you can make your own thank you card Mm -hmm. for for customers. So really important things as far as customer centricity, environmental and sales and profit. And, of course, when we're talking teams and sharing with our our staff, it's important that the... uh team is involved in the goal setting otherwise uh, they won't necessarily take ownership of it that's right like you, you know it's skin in the game we keep talking about skin in the game if you're going to go to a conference don't you know don't have a don't have a, a zero fee on a talk or something that you're going to do because unless people have got their skin in the game whether that's a vested heart interest whether that's a vested financial interest people tend not to respect it as much mm. so you're spot on mm. absolutely have everybody involved um, and there was an organisation we did some work with and, and we kind of got down to what they wanted to stand for. Uh, and what they wanted to stand for was the fact that they wanted to help people. So they were a financial institution and they wanted to help people. So one mm. of their KPIs was, have we helped more people this week? Oh, hell so yeah. how many, how, you know, and I mean, how, and if that doesn't improve your productivity, Julian, nothing will, you know. Well, and of course, and that's the basis of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs is they want to help people and make change. That's right. I mean, you look at the recent articles around Branson and Bill and Melinda Gates and, you know, Branson's all about it. There is a push, you know, there's a, a tipping point push at the moment to have businesses with purpose. Mm. So we're trying to trying to bring that back. Simon Sinek's been on it for, you know, how many years now? What is the why? Why do you exist? Why does your business exist? Why are you working for the organisation that you're working for? Does it fulfil what your what your sole purpose is? Um, and we're finding that the more vested people are in the organisations, in the reason for being, the better the results you get. Uh, absolutely. Yep. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Thanks very much for your time, Christina. We'll uh, have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have Talk a good week. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with the importance of setting innovative goals and, uh, yeah, innovation doesn't happen if we don't set some goals for it. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips and this one, as we said earlier, three steps for asking for help without looking stupid. Too often managers make mistakes because they're afraid to ask for help. Not knowing how to do something may be embarrassing but not asking for help can lead to disastrous results. Next time you are faced with something you're uncertain about, use these three steps to ask your colleague, manager or peer for assistance. First of all, start with what you know. Begin your request for help with context and background about the situation so that the other person knows what you know. Number two is to ask for feedback on a proposed direction. Just because you're uncertain doesn't mean you can't form an opinion. Explain what you're thinking of and doing and ask for input and direction. 
and then finally ask for tangible advice. If you're still unsure about what direction to take, be direct with the other person. Ask for the tools you need to make a decision or for a referral to someone who has been in a similar situation. So there's often times when maybe we can't make that decision and we may make it wrong if we don't have that right advice. So good, good little tips there, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the impact of uh, uh, family separation and the way the family law gets involved in a business if uh, uh, separation is occurring. And, of course, uh, yeah, it can be a very turbulent time, not only for the family, but, of course, for the business. Um, we've also looked at uh, setting some innovation goals. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about starting a small business with Kimberly Claire Campbell from the Hunter Region Business Hub. We'll chat about innovation with Christina again, and we'll have some more business legal, uh, business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as George Eliot once said, it is never too late to be what you might have been. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.